anoint him in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, good morning. I hope we're going to be really good friends over the, over the next few minutes and, and maybe years as well. It's uh, it's tremendous to be invited here, Sam. Thank you so much for your welcome. Thank you to the the band for leading us as well so beautifully. Just uh, just a delight to be here. Isn't God good? We're sort of getting there, aren't we, with this sort of response? I can see. Is that a, is this a new sort of Sam Sanya thing? This sort of responsive thing. So if I say God is good, you go. And if I go uh, all the time. Yeah, see, you guys are getting there. It's it's tremendous, isn't it, to be part of such a vibrant faith around the world. I wonder how much of the global church you're you're aware of. Uh, Part of my job is to try and connect bits of the global church together. Uh, the, The organization SOMA that I work for is called Sharing of Ministries Abroad. And it's very much a two way street, although, to be honest, our focus nowadays is trying to revive the Western church. By, uh, by going and connecting with the global church. Because actually, when I was in Uganda in June, I took my 14-year-old with me uh, on, this, on this mission trip to West Uganda. I was preaching in a church very much like yours. And you know, the first 15 rows of this church, the first 15 rows were full of school-aged children. 15 rows full of school-aged children. On the mountaintop in that a town of Kasesi, on the Friday before we got there to do this little mission, 10,000 people had gathered to pray <laughs> for the whole day, praying and fasting. And every morning when I, I went into the cathedral before the conference we were running, the local church there that, that ran the cathedral, uh, they were in there from 7.30 till 8.30, praying their hearts out and uh, calling on God. About maybe 50 to 100 of them there before work in the morning, coming into their church to check in with God and pray. It's amazing, isn't it? So a few weeks after that, I was in uh, Lebanon uh, working uh, with people who were working with the Syrian refugees. Uh, and we got over to the far border, and there was a, an incredible man uh, who had grown up as, as an, uh, a particular type of sort of Catholic that they only have in Lebanon, a particular denomination there. And he'd been sent on mission when he was about 33 to Tunisia uh, to go and join in with the Arab churches there, which are very, very small uh, and he'd, uh, he'd done his best, but found that he couldn't really connect because his, his language had, was, was varied to theirs. So he, felt he had about nine months where he was being stripped away of all of his incredible skills. He's one of those quite charismatic characters, quite skilled characters. He felt that he was being stripped away. And he said, every day was like I was dying to myself and then being raised up by God. But it was like the Holy Spirit was cleansing me as well <laughs> and filling me. And he said... As that nine months carried on, I found that suddenly I was hearing what God was saying in my, in my sort of spiritual mind. First time in his life. So I just felt I knew what God was saying. And then I found I was praying in a language that no one had taught me. I was praying in tongues, and that seemed to be quite effective. And then I prayed for some people for healing, and they seemed to be getting well uh, every time I was praying for them. And then suddenly, at the end of this nine months, uh, this, is, this is quite a story. So I've, I've got this recorded in his own words on a WhatsApp. So if you want to verify it, you can. Uh, but in the church that, that he was ministering in, a lady came in, and she was a Satanist. And she came into the church, and she started, his words were writhing around me as if she had no bones in her body. She was like a snake on the floor, just writhing around him. And then she, uh, she got up onto her feet, but without bending any of her joints at all, just like that, from sight, like, a, like a something straight out of the exorcist. Uh, and he said, in Jesus' name, leave her. And she was deli- delivered from the demons that had been gripping her through her Satanism. 
through her Satan games, and she started bringing people to church uh, from the Satanist group. And the church grew massively as these Satanists got to know the love of Jesus. What was even more extraordinary, though, was that what this pastor was doing with his Muslim background uh, wife back in Lebanon now uh, was this most extraordinary work among the Syrians. Is anyone from Syria here today at all? Anyone from Syria or Iran at all? Um, well, there's the Syrian forces have been sent in as the occupying forces in Lebanon back in the 70s. And I don't know if you remember there was a civil war in Lebanon, a very bad civil war. Um, and the Syrians were sent in as sort of peacekeepers. But um, like most peacekeeping occupying forces, they weren't that well received by the, income, by the host country. In fact, most Lebanese hate Syrians as a result of that uh, peacekeeping occupation and what they did there. So when the Syrians were being forced to mass migrate overseas and one and a half million of them went to, to Lebanon, a country of four million, that's a bit like 20 million people coming to England um, in terms of percentages. One and a half million came over the border. Most of the Lebanese were like, you know, not in my backyard. And, and the Muslims uh, as well, not, not, not around here. So they ended up generally going to Christian areas in Lebanon. Lebanon has a, a great history of Christianity. Um, but it cost a lot emotionally and forgiveness-wise and historically for any of the Lebanese Christians to reach out to these Syrian uh, migrants and welcome them in. But God stirred the hearts of several people. And what I saw again and again were Muslim background believers who had come to faith in Jesus because people were able to receive them and then they were able to distribute aid to them and help them in different ways. And people said... I had always grown up hearing that God just was angry with me and didn't really like me and being scared that I was going to hell. And then I met people who loved me and told me of a God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who was like a prodigal father who would run towards me. And I've never been the same. We saw people from what used to be Kurdistan who had come as refugees through Syria to Lebanon, now running little churches. And full of faith, full of faith. I asked them instantly, I said, you, you've come from the, uh, from the Muslim faith. Um, do you think it, it helps people to get closer to the God you now know? Um, or do you think it's a, a blockage to them knowing? And they're like, they didn't understand the question. <laughs> they're like, no, keeps them away from God. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Because in our culture, we've, sort of got, we've been indoctrinated, really that all religions are fundamentally the same, and yet uh, this convert who'd never heard of the loving God of our Lord Jesus Christ uh, was there. Actually, interestingly, in, in, um, in Uganda, we got to speak on a, a radio station that beamed out across the DRC Congo. Uh, apparently, it reaches one to two million people, and I, I was called on... Um, to go and, and speak on this radio station. I didn't realize I was speaking. I thought I was just going to visit the studio. Uh, so we get there, and uh, the guy who's with me, he says, ah, you're up now, Richard. Um, I was like, oh, okay. Um, yes, you've got half an hour to preach. <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. Yes, I'm translating your preaching. Go. Um, I said, and many, many Muslims will be listening to this. And actually, over the border in DRC Congo is... Uh, one of the most war-torn, conflict-ridden areas of the world. Largely forgotten conflict. This is something we've forgotten about completely. I've been to visit three lots of refugees this year. The DRC Congo refugees were the, were the most harrowing of all out of the Syrian, the Ukrainian 
and the, uh, the DRC. The DRC was the most harrowing situation. But over there, whole dioceses, Anglican dioceses, have been brought over the border into Uganda because of uh, marauding Islamist mobs who have basically taken machetes and hacked people to pieces <laughs> along the way. It's just, it's just the most vile, horrible situation, and that's not even the worst violations that we've seen pictures of. Uh, and it's, you can preach to them. So I started telling stories. I started telling stories actually from here in London, because I don't know about you, but we've been finding over the last few years that people have been knocking on our doors saying, how can I become a Christian? I don't know if you, if you had anyone like that here. We had someone come in while our toddler group was happening in our church in Chiswick. And, um, and this, 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 this lady came in, she's Iranian, and she said to uh, the lady who was running the door, a lady uh, sitting there in her wheelchair running the, running the door, um, how can I become a Christian? And, uh, and she said, I don't know, which is, you know, a great accolade on our church, isn't it? <laughs> but I'll go and get the vicar from upstairs. So um, she, she went and got me, and I probably had other things to do. But I thought, I'd better go down, because that's, that's one of those invitations, isn't it? That you don't, you don't often hear someone saying, how can I become a follower of Jesus? So I went down, and I thought, well, you know, maybe it's an asylum situation. Let's, let's be careful. So I just thought, I'll go full guns. I tell her the story of the prodigal son. Do you know the story of the prodigal son? How this, this guy wastes all his money, all his wealth, all his, he says, Dad, I wish you were dead. You, you know the story, yeah? And then he comes uh, back to his father, tail between his legs, and his father, while he's still a runway off, runs towards him and welcomes him home and says, you were dead, but now you're alive to him. And I said this, and she was like gobsmacked by this story that you probably know really well. It blew her brain that God could be like that. She was like, what? Wow. And I was like, I still wasn't very convinced, to be honest, because I'm a skeptical vicar. Um, so I said, well, come to the course we're running this evening um, and find out more. So she came to the course. It was, it was the Alpha course, came to the course in the evening and kept coming and got baptized on Easter Sunday. And we found that a number of people like that have come to faith in Jesus. And so I was telling some of these stories and I was telling the prodigal son story. And it was extraordinary, just the sense of God reaching out uh, to this conflict-ridden country across this incredible radio station that's been set up again and again. The church in Uganda is full of faith, isn't it? It's full of excitement. It's full of joy. It's full of children, full of young people. And what we found as we've shared ministry around the world is that even in places where it's extreme persecution or difficulty, that many of the olive branches of hope are to be found in places where the seeds were sown maybe a hundred years or so ago. One of the people that I spoke to in South Sudan back in November last year, my first visit for Soma, uh, just got me alongside. He said, please, could you help me to find this person's family from England? And it was some name I'd never heard of. You, you know how when you go to another country, you go, have you ever heard of blah, blah, blah? <laughs> and they're like, no, there's 60 million of us. You know, It was one of those situations. I, he was doing the same to me that I've done to others. And I said, like, I haven't heard of them. He said, but we want to honor them. I was like, oh, right, that's nice. What have they done? They've done nothing. It was something that happened 100 years ago, which is that a missionary had gone to their particular province in what was then Sudan and had given their life sharing the gospel. And they wanted to honor the descendants of this missionary who had paid a price worth paying. And now, across that southern part of what used to be Sudan, what we now call South Sudan, the youngest country in the world, there are vibrant churches everywhere, a conflict-ridden zone, a difficult, difficult country. One of the places we minister to 
in Samer especially, uh, but there are vibrant churches everywhere. Do you know when the gospel went to South Korea, um, the first missionaries didn't even get to land their ships. <laughs> they were killed before they landed. <laughs> Nicola and I visited uh, South Korea 2004. We went up a prayer mountain there. It was packed with young people. Do you know, in Borneo, in Malaysia, East Malaysia, when the missionaries went there, they were eaten by headhunters. <laughs> in 1970s, a revival broke out among a, a, a tribe of people who were known for being drunk before dawn. <laughs> and the young people got filled by the Holy Spirit while they were there. And the whole place was transformed. And I went and stayed there after I'd finished at university, two years after university, I stayed there. 60% of the villages there were born-again Christians. It was a tangible atmosphere. I don't know if you've ever been to a Christian conference, which can be, you know, can be a mixed bag spiritually, some of them. But, uh, you know, sometimes you think, wow, I wish the whole world could be like this. I'll tell you what it was in Borneo. 60% of people were born-again Christians following Jesus. I sat at a table with four uh, young, young women when I was like 23, I looked at these young women. I was the same sort of age as them. I'd never seen anything as attractive as these girls, not because of any particular beauty or makeup or any other thing. There was a holiness in them that was just intoxicating. You were like, wow, these girls are gorgeous in a different way to what I'm normally after. <laughs> there wasn't anything sexual about it. I was just like, wow. And do you know that's what you're going to look like one day? When you're restored and renewed in new creation, you're full of God. There'll be something so attractive about you, you'll be like, wow. And so attractive about everyone around you, you'll be like, I spent years of money on oil of Uley or whatever it was. <laughs> and actually all I needed was the Spirit of Jesus. <laughs> it was tremendous. So anyway, let's get into the passage. That's the preamble, and Sam's only given me a limited time this morning. Um, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. My entire message today is one word, is. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. And my question, St. John's Ealing, is, 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 is true for you today? <laughs> is it is? The Spirit of the Lord was upon me, is not good enough for you today. The Spirit of the God one day will be upon me, is not what God wants for you today. What I would like to know, and what I'd like you to know especially, is the Spirit of God upon you right now? Okay, and by the end of this, hopefully you'll be able to answer that, maybe differently if you need to change your mind. Why is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord upon uh, the person Isaiah is talking about in Isaiah 61, which is the great servant of the Lord, the fourth of his servant songs? Why is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord upon him? Well, he's upon him because, and this is the Hebrew version here in our translation, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Does it sound familiar to you, this passage? Maybe you know your Old Testament well, and you're like, yes, that's the fourth servant song from the book of Isaiah. I love Isaiah. I love that bit of Isaiah, you might say. I love that 40 through 66 and just the hope that comes in there. People have called it the fifth gospel. I love Isaiah. Or maybe, maybe that's familiar to me because I've read Luke's gospel. And I remember that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus uh, sat down and he read from the Septuagint version, the Greek version of this. 
And in Luke 4, he, he read this, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he sat down and he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's Jesus' personal manifesto taken from this fourth servant song in Isaiah. And he is able to say, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. I can remember going to a very famous London church while I was at university. It was in the afterglow of the sort of Toronto blessing era where people were tangibly experiencing the Spirit in different ways. It was a mixed up blessing in some ways, but it was a glorious blessing in many ways. And I remember going to the church there and they were singing a song based on these words, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. I remember thinking, yes, that's true, Lord. (laughs) That's true, Lord. Because my story is that I went on a short-term mission when I was 17 uh, to Romania. My church had a link with Romania, and I was sent out there, despite the fact I wasn't a very good Christian, I wasn't really a very good churchgoer, I wasn't a very good anything much, but I went out there with a group of people who were passionate about Jesus to a church that was very passionate for Jesus. They'd just survived Ceausescu's communism, and they'd been faithful through the midst of all that persecution. And I went out there, and I prayed the night before, God, please do something in our lives. And I prayed two nights in, God, please give me the Holy Spirit. And as I've received the Holy Spirit, because he says, if you ask, you will receive. As I received the Holy Spirit, I began to weep over my life. I began to repent over the things that had gone wrong in my life. And I was filled with the Spirit to the point I was choking in my crying. And, uh, and, God, uh, and someone said, what's wrong, Richard? I said, uh, please give me the words, Lord. And I spoke, and he just kept giving me the words, and that's why I've not been able to shut up since, Sam. So apologies for that. You can blame the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord was absolutely definitely upon me in 1995. It was upon me when I came back and I spoke at my baptism in front of 20 friends from school, and upon me when I spoke to my uh, assembly at school, to the sixth form, where I was at. But you know what I noticed over time is that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee uh, confirming our inheritance. He's like an engagement ring on our finger. So there's an aspect of the Holy Spirit you just can't lose. <laughs> but he's also a turtle dove, which is the most scared bird in the, in the, in the garden. And Artie Kendall tells this glorious story. He says uh, of a couple in the Middle East who had a dove would land on their house. And on their house, whenever they were having an argument, they realized the dove would keep flying away. <laughs> And uh, one day, this guy who was a preacher was going off to preach. And uh, he was uh, busy having an argument with his wife before doing so, as often can happen in any household. And uh, he's like, I've got to go to preach now. (laughs) And he felt the Lord say, well, you can go, but I'm going to stay here with your wife. (laughs) You see, you can have the Holy Spirit guaranteeing your inheritance as an engagement ring on your finger, But that walking in step with the Spirit, that's a choice that you and the Spirit make together. And he says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's not just sealed me, he's upon me. What's he going to do? He's going to preach through me. He's going to bind up the brokenhearted. He's going to proclaim freedom. He's going to release from darkness the prisoners. And he's going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That famously is where Jesus stopped. 
And I, let me just meander. I've got such little time to do this, but I'm going to meander through this because I'd, I'd love you to see this. This is a minority opinion on Isaiah 61, uh, just to be clear there, so you can go and investigate it for yourself. But people say, why does Jesus stop saying this is the year of the Lord's favor? Why does he not say this is the day of vengeance of our God? And most commentators say that's because there's a coming day that Jesus knew of at the end of the world where he will judge the world. And as it says in the creed, he will, he, he will judge the living and the dead. And then his kingdom will have no end. He'll separate the sheep from the goats. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Or he'll say, get away from me, I never knew you. That's what Jesus says of that final day himself. If you've read the Gospels, you'll see that again and again. Jesus is the one who introduces judgment into the Bible more than almost anyone, if you read it through. Uh, But why does he say, does he stop from saying the day of vengeance of our God? Is it that it's all coming in the future? Is it way, way off? Well, have a look at the end of verse 2 and the start of, of 3. And this is a minority opinion, but see if it helps you here today. After the day of vengeance is mentioned. It talks about comforting those who mourn, providing for those who grieve, bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair. And I I just remember looking at this thinking, when do people grieve and get in despair? When did people mourn in the gospel stories? When did that happen? It was after that dark day on Calvary, wasn't it? Wasn't it after that terrible, terrible day when the sky turned black? When he who had no sin became sin for us? When he became the propitiation for our sins? When he received into himself the full punishment for our sins? When the wrath of God was poured out upon his own son voluntarily taken? When the day of vengeance came on Jesus. This is the day of the vengeance of our God. It's coming. And it comes in two parts. And this is key to know St. John's. It either comes on Jesus on the cross, taking your sins upon himself for you. Or it comes on that day of vengeance still to come at the end of time. And you and I have got a choice about when that vengeance gets paid. (laughs) Either on Calvary's tree, or when he says, get away from me, I never knew you, on the last day. That's a big topic, and there's more to get into. And maybe we need to talk about it afterwards, if needs be. But it is the most important thing of all, and it's the key to being able to know that the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. See, the Spirit of God is a wonderful thing, but it's not an emotional buzz to try and make your life feel a little bit better. It's not air conditioning for your car. It's not a cuddle on the carpet in California, as Simon Ponsonby used to say. It's not just something to make you feel good. This is the Holy Spirit of the living God. (laughs) And when he comes, he comes with holiness and with fire, with power. And it's transformative. It changes everything. And the first thing you need to know about yourself is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 13. He says, examine yourself. I trust you find you have 
the Holy Spirit in you. I trust you find your faith is alive in you. I trust you find that Jesus lives in you. And friends, St. John's, I don't know you at all. I hope we're going to be friends. But my starting point is this. Do you know inside you that Jesus Christ is alive? Do you? I mean, I can shout because I'm just visiting and you may never see me again. I don't have to be nice. I'm not trying to be your vicar or anything. But this is so important. It's the most important question about yourself right now. When I look inside myself, is Jesus Christ Lord? That's what St. John's needs. It needs a hundred people here to know that Jesus Christ is Lord of their lives. It doesn't need a new, I don't know, whatever people think need new, carpet, treasurer, PA system, whatever. It needs the Lordship of Jesus. Look inside yourself, is he Lord? And then answer this question. Is the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord upon you? Are you filled today with the Holy Spirit? I don't care what happened 40 years ago here. This this week, I'm going over time, Sam. You can cut me off any time. This week, I was preparing to preach on this. Someone rang me up from France. This is a great story for St. John's. She rang me up from France. I'd love to go on a Soma mission to Africa. Someone's given me a prophecy that I'm going to go on a mission to Africa. I was like, oh, what are you doing in France? Are you on holiday? She said, no, I've come here as an intercessor. I'm living in France as an intercessor, trying to make a difference in pagan secular France. Amazing, just living in some rural place somewhere, going to a rubbishy little church. <laughs> and she said, when I was 18, I lived in Ealing. I was at university. I was a new age person. I walked into a church. I walked into St. John's Church in Ealing. Someone was preaching the gospel there. The associate vicar saw me. He made a beeline for me, and he led me to a living faith in Jesus at the end of the service. He said, you must have Jesus as Lord of your life. I was prayed for, and I was filled with the Spirit there, and I've never been the same ever again. She's now a missionary in France doing nothing but prayer, because that's all she can really do there phoning me up the day that I'm about to prepare to come to St. John's Ealing, telling me that she got converted here. But friends, it doesn't matter what happened 40 years ago. You've got to get out of your system. I don't care for what happened four days ago. Is the Spirit of God alive in you now? Okay, I'm going to keep going on this because I really think God wants you to get this word is in your head today. Some of you might need to repent. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just, that's just pretty much a given for West London, isn't it? Our church is flipping asleep across London. It's so asleep. So asleep. One day we'll be in heaven with that pastor from Lebanon who spends five hours a day praying. We've been comatized. Is the Spirit of the Lord on you? So that's what we're going to offer prayer for now. And the reasons for it are here in Isaiah 61. Because the Spirit on us, since that day of the cross, will comfort those who mourn. Anyone here be mourning? The Spirit of God in us will give a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Anyone here feel like they're ashen or worn down? Anyone here feel like they're uh, just stuck in a place of grieving or captured or in darkness or broken hearted. That's what the Spirit brings. And anyone got a neighbor nearby who might be a great athlete, but doesn't know that story yet, doesn't know that favor yet. 
That's what God wants to commission us for now. Shall we stand together as we pray? If we had longer, we could delve into these things much more. Um, I'm quite willing to be a a one-time visit only, um, but only if it makes a difference, you know. So I'd love to ask for a response today. And um, I'm going to sort of engineer this in an unfair way um, because um, that's what visitors get to do, um, take a few liberties. Um, Sometimes it's helpful. But I, I would love to ask any, any of the men in the room to come forward to, to the front, any of the men who are, who are able and willing to just uh, get out of their, their seats and walk forward to this front area. So if, if you're a man, um, please would you come to the front here uh, now. Uh, so, I mean, gender identity is a complex thing in today's universe, but uh, if you would self-identify as a man, please come to the uh, front uh, now. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This, this, here's a man. Here's, this is a man. Anyone else self-identify as a man in the room, or frankly, your mother identified you as a man, will be fine. Um, okay, lovely. Lovely. The men of St. John's. Look at this. Band of brothers. We've got about as many as the Jesus called out, out the front here. May God bless you with a knowledge of his Holy Spirit in you right now. May he breathe into you his grace, his hope, his gifts, his abilities, his love, his kindness, his gentleness, his self-control, his graciousness, his blessings, his ability to impart and call out to other people incredible grace. May he fill you right now with his Holy Spirit. And bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And please, gentlemen, please stay standing there. That would be very kind of you. Um, uh, This isn't really a gender thing. My wife's a vicar, so it's not that I'm discriminating. I just want to grab anyone else in the room feel they'd like to receive the Holy Spirit today. Just put a hand up if you think, oh, I'd love to know today that that God is with me in the Holy Spirit. We've got three people would love to receive the Holy Anyone else? A few more? Okay. Well, gentlemen, could you take a big step forward so you're right up by the steps? One of you guys, wonderful. And then if you could just turn around for me, that would be really kind. Uh, if you would like to receive the Holy Spirit, could you come and stand in front of one of these gentlemen uh, this morning? Uh, come, on, come on out quickly because we don't want to overrun time. Uh, fa- face the front. Um, fa- face the front if you've come forward. Stand in front of one of these wonderful prayer people. Today, this is our prayer ministry team for the day, these gentlemen. Um, those of you who didn't come forward the first time are like, ah, I knew I shouldn't come forward. <laughs> well done. And gentlemen, if you're standing here, you're just going to reach out a hand to the person in front of you. And all I'd like you to say is, come Holy Spirit. Is that okay? Just say out loud, come Holy Spirit. Just, just once, we'll be fine. Come Holy Spirit. And then just watch and say, Lord, please bless this person. Please bless them. Please fill them. Please increase the sense of anointing on them. Please let them know that you are the God now over their lives. We're just going to pray for the band as well. Just pour your spirit out on this lovely, lovely band, Lord. Fill them afresh for the first time or the 15th time today. In Jesus' name, just bless them, Lord. More of your spirit, Lord. More of your spirit, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit. 
on the drummer, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Bless you. Pianist has already had a dose of you. More of you, Lord, on the pianist. Bless you, Jesus. Father, we praise you today. We want to acknowledge that without you, we can do nothing. We want to thank you also that Jesus Christ on the cross took the full punishment for our sins so we can be truly free. We pray, Lord God, as you fill us all afresh, whether we come out or not, fill us with your spirit. Would you also just help any of us who need to repent and come to you for the first time or the third time, say sorry for my sins. Please forgive me. Please transform me. We pray, Lord God, we pray that you will receive into your kingdom anyone here who wants Jesus in their life right now. Please help us to say sorry to you. Please help us to believe that you want to forgive us. Please help us to believe that you want to fill us with your spirit and make us all right with you right now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, before anyone goes off to their seats, it might be while you're standing here at the front, you felt God's been saying something to you for one of the people you've been praying for. Um, You might just want to say, bless you, but uh, say something to them. Uh, Maybe it's just bless you, but maybe it's a... I wonder if God might want to encourage you with these words now. And just say that before they go back to their seats. So uh, either just to bless you or I wonder if God might want to say this to you now. Well, I don't know about you, St. John's, but I think you've got some very great days ahead. I think every day you put your hand in the hand of Jesus Christ, your hand and heart in the hands of the Holy Spirit. He's going to do some wonderful things among you. I'm going to hand you back to your much safer, nicer, and kinder vicar.